All right, guys, uh, Luke here, just checking in with you. I, I want to address this idea of life is always perfect as it is right now. I've got a little sign that says, just be here now. It's right above my computer. It says, life is always perfect as is. And I know that that can be kind of a bitter pill to swallow at times, especially when, when things are going sideways, we're kind of in the midst of a shitstorm and chaos and nothing seems to be going the right way. How could all of that actually be perfect just as it is when things are clearly wrong? And I mean, we could get as specific here. I mean, like, okay, you, you get uh, in a really bad car wreck uh, or that kind of a thing. That's there. As a matter of fact, I just reminded me, I was looking out the road here uh, the neighborhood, coming in and out of my neighborhood, there's a bus stop, not far from that bus stop, where my daughter walks every day, there's an intersection, and two nights ago, there was a kid that was walking across that intersection, and he didn't make it to the other side, he was actually struck and killed by a vehicle in the, in the intersection, that's massive pain, massive trauma, that is clearly wrong, a young man, any young person, any person really, uh, being just a life cut short, gone. The pain, the hole in the lives of these families is unimaginable. And I, it is with the utmost respect to that family, to offer condolence, to grieve with them and for them for that loss. And for anyone's loss, I'm just bringing it close to home for just a minute. I want to I wanna couch this within context. So when I say that life is always perfect as is, I guarantee that that family does not feel that way right now. And m for most of us, we don't feel that way most of the time. So where in the hell do I get off saying that life is always perfect as is? And I want to now go ahead and create a little bit of separation space. Take a deep breath and let go of all that. All that thinking, right? I just shared a story with you. It's a true story. And what did that story do? It evoked emotions. Boom. Just like that, you could feel the pain that somebody might be feeling. It may have struck a chord really close to home, something that you could resonate with or it may be not. Maybe you're just not there right now. But understand this. The stories in our head always evoke the emotion. That's something that we dig into a lot uh, in some of the workshops that I hold. Now, when I say life is always perfect as is, I'm not talking about our emotional state. I'm not talking about I feel peachy king. I've got all the warm and fuzzies all the time. It's not about this Pollyannish, happy-go-lucky, uh, everything's just fine it's just an acceptance that actually it cannot be any other way than the way that it is right now. And what is true is that when we begin to examine life, or we're maybe we're caught up in the moment, and and when shit's really hot and heavy, it's hard to slow down for a second and evaluate what's really going on. But what we do do is we go back in time, and we evaluate, we look, we reflect, and we think, wow. Uh, that was a really challenging circumstance. This was a really shitty thing that happened. Somebody was suffering. I was suffering. W where was the perfection in that? And what I think is worth considering for just a moment is what's real right now? 
when we go back and examine these past pains and sufferings, is that still real right now? Or are we conjuring and creating, we're, we're pulling that story into the presence, into the present moment, into the prefrontal cortex for a second, and it evokes the emotion, it feels really real, we're actually having a very real biological reaction to the story, but is it real right now, or is it actually just a mental projection? And I think it's a rhetorical question. This is, in fact, a mental projection. And if we begin to look at life and try to decide how much of our life is real right now, present awareness of what's going on in this precise moment, the infinite unfolding now, versus how much of our life is caught up in this illusion of what is real, in this mental mirage, this idea that what I think is real or how I feel is real is actually reality. How much of our life, in other words, is just an illusion, a mental projection, and how much of our emotion, of our reaction of how we feel about life is actually tied to that mental projection more so than being tethered to reality. Think about that for just a second. How much of life is my emotional reaction to a mental projection, to this mirage, this illusion in my mind, versus how much of it is rooted in reality? present awareness of what is real right now? Are my emotions being swayed, provoked, pulled, or provoked by a past event or a potential future event? What's real right now? And this is the whole practice of mindfulness, right? Is, is bringing our, our awareness into the moment by taking a deep breath, right? We tether our, our mind to our breathing and we just observe without judgment what's real right now. And what I notice what's real right now, when I take a slow deep breath, my heart rate slows down and I get a little bit less uh, caught up in my mind and the mental chatter. And it is here in this place of right here, right now, that we must consider whether life is always, in fact, perfect just as it is. It is never going to be out in the past or out in the future that we're going to find the answers to these, these kind of questions or this, this actually accurate perspective. Consider that we can't go back in the past right? We can't go back and change something that's already happened. We can go all the way back to the inception of light and every molecular collision, subatomic particle bouncing into another, neutrinos piercing planets and galaxies gobbling each other's up and comets and meteors planting, you know, embedding the, the building blocks of life on different planets all around our solar system, our galaxies. I mean, this is the big cosmic context, right? And in this context, everything has happened and it has had to have happened exactly as it has for us to be right where we're at right now. For the words of my heart to enter the microphone, zip through the thing, go through the Bluetooth, get to that, go zoom up to the satellite, come back in, download, blah, 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 and then my voice can tickle your ears, <laughs> right? My thoughts can tickle your brain. Our hearts can connect and, and resonate with each other when we share and speak from the heart. When we do that, there is this perfect kind of incorruptible connection going on where we are intimately and intricately connected with the essence of everything that is right here right now in this moment and isn't that perfect perfect in the sense of being complete 
We think about artwork, for example. You know, we've got artwork. You go to a, a, an art gallery and you're like, wow, that guy just spread feces on a, on, a, on a board and called it art. Or, you know, some of these really eclectic sculptures. And it's difficult to see the beauty that the artist was creating for some people. Other people walk in and they're like, wow, I mean, they're moved to tears. The emotional connection with the creation is so strong. And what I believe to be true is that because we are all each, you know, fragmented, we're just kind of finite facets of an infinitely bright jewel, if you will, the diamond of life, we are unique. We are special. We're, there's nobody quite like us. All of this uh, idea of homogeny that we're we're you know we're all in this get together yes we're all in this together but we're not all the same equality is a myth the myth of equality you know we're not all endowed with the same uh talents, natural talents or gifts we're not all endowed with the same degree of intelligence or health we're not all endowed with the same preferences and so i will never be a michael jordan i <laughs> i suck at basketball i like to say if i could dribble shoot or jump i'd be really good at basketball but i'm not i happen to be good at talking and sharing from the heart or connecting communicating that might be my super skill uh, but that might not be somebody else's right so kind of got off there for a second let's bring it back to this idea that we can't undo what's been done and so what is now unfolding is an expression of divine intent. Consider that for a second. If ever there was an intent, a molecular intent, you know, for atoms to bond and electrons and protons, neutrons, electrons to form, you know, atomic structure, you know, there's this design or this intelligence that permeates the cosmos. It keeps everything together. You know, the grace of gravity, if you will. But also then, look at the creation, the creatures on our planet, the way that, that plants grow and compete with each other, right? They grow and compete with each other. What are they competing for? Resources, water, sunlight, energy. They're competing for that so that they can what? replicate, reproduce, right? The, they need to bloom. They need to attract the bees to come get the pollen. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling beautiful, right? It's a big deal. It's super-duper cool. And surely, it's perfect as it is, right? Surely, the mountain breeze, the streams, the fish and the oceans, oh my gosh, the entire freaking ecosystem is amazing. We don't have to look that far to find a bazillion reasons to feel good about the way life is. I mean, the natural world is full of in-your-face majestic beauty. It's there. If you're not gripped by the beauty of nature, I'm si I would say you're not close enough to it. So get out there, go connect with it a little bit, and allow that natural connection to help reconcile our perspective or kind of bring us back into what's real right now. What's real right now is that all around the world, flowers are blooming, bees are buzzing, cars are zooming, hearts are beating, people are breathing all around the world. And this is happening without us having to think about it. Consider that for a second. All of life is happening without us having to think about it. And isn't that perfect? How could it be any other way than the way that it is? Can I accept this perfection as a gift and understand that when I perceive imperfection, 
It's really a perfect imperfection. It really cannot be any other way. Life is always perfect as it is. Looking at the tragedy that occurred just a, a few blocks from my house, a young man losing his life, what's the perfection in that? Obviously, that's an imperfect moment. But is it possible that that event changed the course of history forever? The truth is, absolutely, yes, it changed the course of history forever. For that family, for the person who took that child's life, for the people who were around in the community, that changed. It had a massive ripple effect, and it will be continually changing. It changed the course of everything in the entire cosmos, in some sense, forever and ever, right? So everything's going to be different because of that one thing, one thing changed it all. And because it changed everything, it's set up some other new thing to emerge. Transient time, layers of change, create and destroy two sides of the same. This is a poem I wrote driving through the desert and I saw the, the rocks, these different layers of colors in the rocks down in southern Utah. I thought, wow, I mean, we're talking eons, thousands, millions of years that erode these rocks down. At once it was a mighty mountain, now it's just a, a really cool a hoodoo in the Bryce Canyon area. These different colors of differential erosion, I thought layers of change create and destroy two sides of the same. When we create something, we're destroying something else, or in the destruction of one thing is the creation of another. It cannot be any other way. This is change. This is the infinite constant, right? This, this change. We don't have a lot of control over all of the changes in life, certainly over the changes in the cosmos, right? But we can choose to use change in our own life at a very local and personal level. I can choose to use change because, in fact, we are cosmic creatures, right? We have intent in our own selves. We are creators and destroyers of things, this is where we are, in fact, endowed with that. And so we can manipulate the material world in ways that no other species has ever done as far as we currently know. That makes us kind of special. It's kind of like magic. If I can conjure an idea up in my head, I can create a plan. I can go out there and make it happen. More importantly, I can collaborate. I can get other people excited about the idea through communication, you know, through this, this, this shared experience of shared emotion. Yeah, 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 fired up. We're going to go out there and do something to have a positive impact on the world. Maybe I want to, you know, some people are no doubt gathering around that family right now and supporting them. Let's bring them, let's bring them dinner. Let's bring them flowers. They put up a little, a little vigil out on the corner down by the, by the stoplight, by the intersection there. You know, this is, this is an example of creating something. And as the path has changed, the creation continues to create. Things are perpetually creating and destroying. This is happening all around us, all the time, every moment. Every beautiful creation is always going to crumble back down to the essence of life itself, the source of energy and awareness, the fundamental awareness that permeates the universe. Just as surely as the sun will rise and, you know, we will rise and we will fall, we will live, and we will die. Nobody's going to get out of here alive, right? There's a lot of talk about what happens when we die. We want to have answers. 
What happens when we die? And I think the most popular answer is that we go to a perfect place, right? We go to heaven if we're good people, or we go to hell if we're bad people. And then, you know, depending on the theology and, and tradition, the idea is that this there's an accumulation of merit in life. You might call it karma, you know, and depending on uh, the the goodness of your life, you're going to be rewarded for the goodness. This is like a built-in incentive in the universe, right, or in life, it, definitely in philosophy or in theology. And then, of course, the disincentive, or if we're bad or we're, we're being harmful to our environment or harmful to other people, then, you know, we're accumulating this, this negative karma, this bad thing, bad things are going to happen, we're going to suffer, you know, maybe we're going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever, we're never going to escape it. <laughs> We're just going to suffer indefinitely and, and perpetually. How terrible of an idea is that? Nobody really wants that to happen, right? So that's a pretty strong incentive to kind of get on the straight and narrow and try to at least you know, move in a positive direction, be a good person. I think this is why we have these stories, and I think it's why these you know, stories are embedded and passed down through the traditions that span humanity, all different cultures, all different time periods have some of this kind of discussion. And what we're really getting at when we're talking about the perfection of life after death or the imperfection of life after death is, is a concept. And this is something I want to dwell on for just a moment. Okay, This idea that I'm going to store up my treasures in heaven, or I'm going to live my life in a way so that it's going to be perfect when I die. I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to be with God, I'm going to sing with the angels forever. Or I'm going to, you know, uh, grab this plane, I'm going to crash it into a building, and I'm going to go fly off and, and have myself a, a harem of virgins. Whatever the case may be, whatever the theology may be, the incentive is that if I sacrifice some part of my life now for a greater good or for the cause of God, that down the road my life will be perfect. And when I die, my life will be perfect. Then I will be complete and I will enjoy the presence of God and all the goodness and the peace and the warm and fuzzies. Now, i got to tell you guys, that is just a in my mind, in my opinion, no, nigh in my heart, this is bullshit, man. Bullshit, entirely bullshit. Because there is no life other than the life that we're living right now. Right now, life is perfect. Right now, God is breathing and living in me and through me. God is the living, breathing universe, the grand sum of everything that is, good old divinity, the, the eternal enigma, the great mystery of life, the source and the end of it all, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, all of that stuff is, <laughs> that's what's real right now, right? Not this idea embedded in my subconscious mind from a traditions of men. Somebody had the idea, hey, someday you die, you go to heaven. Oh, Great. Well, that, that idea has been kicked around a lot. It's been chewed on and processed and retold in stories, you know, throughout all the ages. What's funny to me is that these stories, you know, there's, there's some similarity to them, but they're all make-believe, right? If, in fact, this is just an opinion, you know, I speculate, I hypothesize here, but if, in fact, there was this really magical place with streets paved with gold and 
palaces with glittering crystals and some divine entity sitting in a big glowing robe with, you know, a bazillion angels singing to them. I'm not sure that's even where I would want to go hang out. I mean, it sounds kind of cool. I think the allure really is to be in the presence of God. But I find that I can be in the presence of God right here in the now. And I think rather than having this incentive to be close and in the presence of God when I'm dead, I would prefer to be close and in the presence of God while I'm alive. I would like to go find this connection and feel this connection as often as possible, right? And do people, in fact, connect with God on a regular basis? Yes or no, true or false? Whether or not you do personally, that's another question. But do people? And the answer is absolutely yes. No question about it. No doubt about it. Every moment of every day, there's a good number of people on the planet that are connecting with God in their own personal way. Maybe they're in a sweat lodge. Maybe they're doing Hayaska, or you know, they're, they're having some hallucinogenic trip. Maybe they're uh, sitting on a mountaintop in a, in a cave somewhere. Maybe they're singing in a church choir. Maybe they're in a prayer group. Maybe they're slain in the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues. Whatever the case may be, there are people connecting with God all around the world right now in this very moment, every moment. And I believe that that is so fundamentally irrefutable. It is absolute proof of concept that we are a spiritual species. We have spiritual needs. We crave that connection with God, the essence of life, with something bigger than ourselves. We have to do that. It's, it's necessary. Because if we don't, we are incomplete. We, if we don't, we are missing out. If we don't, there's, we're not satisfied. We're not happy. We need this. We need God in our lives. We need to walk the spiritual journey. We need to understand the spiritual priority. And from that perspective, if we were to reframe our life experience from a spiritual perspective, then all of a sudden we begin to see how life is in fact perfect as it is all the time. It cannot be any other way. In, in theology, we, people talk about you know, the all-powerful, all-present God, all-knowing, all-loving. If God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, then in fact, everything's happening for a reason. And so then they, we get scriptures, we get taught stories like you know, God's ways are, are higher than our ways. We can't understand. And in fact, it says in the book of Proverbs, a nice collection of wisdom, if... Uh, <laughs> Trust in, in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge God and he'll set your path straight. Trust in God with all your heart. Trust, trust, trust. Trust that life is perfect. No matter what it looks like, trust with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Don't try to figure it out. Just be humble for a second and accept the fact that you're not half as smart as you think you are. At least I'm not half as smart as I think I am, and I think I'm a fairly smart guy. But I at least acknowledge the limitations of my own understanding. There are limits to what I can know, limits to what I can comprehend. And if I'm really honest and brutally honest and humble about the fact, I mean, I really know very little. My slice of the pie is not that big, right? There's so much that we could learn and comprehend. I don't, I'm not even going to waste my time trying to pretend that I comprehend it all. I just want to be real right now. Real, raw, and relevant, right? I want to know what's real right now. I don't want to have to worry about or think about, geez, you know, maybe this idea about God is, is right, you know, so maybe I should follow this path to God. 
Maybe it is true that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to God except for by Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, the propitiation for the sins of man. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ lived and died as a man in the flesh. He hung on the cross. He suffered. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And with his blood, he washed clean the sins of all humanity. All we have to do is say, please, yes, Lord, Jesus Christ, I want you in my heart, in my life. I will follow you. I'll pick up my cross. Have you not heard the story of Jesus? It's a powerful fucking story, man. We're talking about divine grace, the grace of God. God loves you. Yes, he wants a relationship with you. Yes, and he gave you the path to make that happen. This is the, the traditional Christian Western theology, story, cultural tradition. It's powerful. I get goosebumps talking about it, right? This story is not going to resonate with somebody who was born and raised in Burma or in India or in many, many other places in the world, in China. Why not? Is it because the story is not true? Or is it because it's just out of context? It lacks cultural context, right? So maybe that story is true. But for many people, that story will never be true because it is so far out of whack and out of context. It is absolutely different, fundamentally at odds with their own understanding of God. What if someone was raised in Eastern Asia and they were taught to follow the Tao, the way? They were taught that there are natural cycles and rhythms in life. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The yin and the yang. Lightness and dark, heat and cold, positive and negative. We start to examine that and we think, wow, that's that's actually pretty accurate. (laughs) I can observe that. I see that. This is actually a pretty good explanation for the way things work. I see longevity and peace in these cultures, an understanding of the integration of mind, body, and soul, the spiritual essence and how to cultivate this spiritual strength. Gong Fu, Tai Chi, Qi Gong. You know, these are things that are powerful tools to humanity. These don't have anything to do with the Christian tradition, but I would promise you this, for the devout aspirants of those paths, if they were to pursue that with all their heart, that spiritual understanding, if that's where they connected and fed their soul, was in the understanding of the way, the Tao, they are going to find the presence of God in their heart, in their life, and they are going to radiate that peace all about them going to be all over their face, all over their life. In the scriptures, the Western scriptures, it says that uh, judge a tree by its fruit. (coughs) Excuse me. Hmm. Maybe I'll have a sip of coffee. Hmm. (laughs) Just gargle coffee. My throat was tickling. Sorry about that, guys. Okay, so, you know, this idea that maybe... You know, we've just been talking about Christianity. We've been talking about Taoism. But what if it was a Hindu? Maybe somebody was born in in Calcutta, Mumbai. Somebody was born in in a Hindu tradition, uh, culture, family context, and they were taught, boy, you know, if you're you're struggling with something here or there, you know, you you would maybe pray to Ganesha or Shiva. You know, all of this pantheon of gods, these different aspects of God saying, I want some divine intervention or some divine guidance in this aspect of my life. You know, you know, Ganesha, come in and help me crash through the walls of my own self-deception. Help me destroy 
my own uh, make-believe world so that I can see reality for what it is, right? You know, help me slice through the fog so that I can see clearly where, <coughs> excuse me, where I need to go. You know, these are things that, that uh, people are going to find connection with. And, and when they do, you know, I, I have uh, good friends. I got, I got to spend a month in India. Okay, so this is where I'm coming from here. And I made some friends there. Matter of fact, I, I, a really neat guy who's an Uber driver. And he spoke good English, and we both had daughters, and both our daughters were in schools and in programs. And I thought, wow, this is really neat to connect with this guy. And, you know, my background in yoga gave me, you know, some philosophical understanding and appreciation for Hinduism, but I didn't really know. I didn't really have a lot of connection or a lot of experience with it. But in seeing this man's life, and the love and celebration of life in him and his family, I can't help but see the hand of God. I can't help but see somebody who is so uh, committed to a spiritual way of life. I find Hinduism is a very spiritual path, right? People are constantly finding ways to connect with God. You walk down the streets in India, and they've got these little temples all over for different gods. And I mean, there are flowers and oranges and petals. And I mean, people are banging on drums and chimes and and all this kind of stuff, always celebrating something, some aspect of the divine. I think, man, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And in that, there's contentment. And in that, there's peace. And in that, there's a lot of God, a lot of good old divinity, a lot of the best of human nature. So I see it all around. And I see that and I think, huh, you know, is this not perfect just the way that it is? Could it be any other way? Could you really uh, go to India and evangelize effectively enough to convert over a billion people to believing there is only one way to connect with God, and that's to, to believe in Jesus Christ? Is that possible? Is it practical? <laughs> is, it, is it even a philosophically sound idea? And for me, the answer is no. It is not practical, it is not possible, and it is not a philosophically sound idea because that squashes humanity. It puts a damper on divine expression. It says that God could only manifest and be beautiful if he looks the way that I am used to seeing God look like. The old white guy in a robe with the big dude with a beard looks like Jesus, right? <laughs> or not, you know? What... What if, what if God was all of the above? Or what if I didn't have to understand, I just had to feel. I didn't have to think my way toward God. I could just connect with God. What if I didn't have to fit God into a box that looked just so? What if instead of that, I could look all around at all the time, all the time, and look around and see the beauty of life just as it is? What if I could understand that as it is right now, it's perfect because it cannot be any other way. And this moment is perfect because it's just pregnant with divine expression. It, I mean, we're literally bursting with infinite potential. When I talk about divine intent, divine intent is a curious exploration of infinite possibility, right? Why does one flower have uh, different color petals than another? Why do insects adapt in these little niches? How many different you know species of wasps or birds or bees are there? There's all these uh, little intricate ways of creating 
individuality, expressing individuality. It's the possibility that exists for a palm tree to grow in this way or that way. A possibility exists for different species of grass, just as much as there's different types of cars and we can have different preferences in that department. These creatures, these species, these intelligent life forms have their own damn preference about how they're going to do things. And then they compete and they sharpen each other. This is the beauty of nature and about evolution. It's a pretty pretty rad. <laughs> pretty freaking awesome. So I can't help but see it as perfect as it is. Right? Oh, wow. Cute. Look at that little tiny bunny. Isn't that the most beautiful, adorable, perfect little creature ever? And then it gets ripped apart <laughs> by a fox. <laughs> oh, no. Its guts are getting drugged through the sagebrush. Oh, no. You know, it's terrible. What's happening? Is that perfect? No. Yes. I don't know. I'm confused. My emotions are in the way. I can't understand. Maybe it's not an emotional understanding that we're after. Maybe it's not a mental understanding that we're after. Maybe it is an intuitive understanding that we're after. Can we intuitively grasp that life is perfect just as it is? That with the destruction of one thing comes the creation of new possibility. And in that new possibility, there is positive potential. Positive potential always abounds every moment positive potential think about this for a second is life always perfect as it is well there's always positive potential we always have the potential to let go of the past to choose to use change and to move in a positive direction we can use our breath to biochemically hack our happiness these things are always available to us there's no deny no denying that no getting around that but more than that and even i think <laughs> okay kind of more exciting you know this is more uh, more tangible We'll come at this from a more tangible angle for just a moment. You know, is God good or is life fundamentally good? This is a question that I think people chew on a lot. You look around, you see suffering, mayhem, you know, bad things happening in the world. And is this good? How could it possibly be good? I don't understand, you know, and I get it. I don't understand it either. I'm not trying to tell you that I understand everything, but I will say this. I'll challenge you this. Is life good? I challenge you to chew on the answer being, yes, life is fundamentally good. In spite of what it looks like, here's what I know to be true. What it takes for life to sustain itself, to exist as a human being or any other species really, but as a human being, what is necessary? What are the requisite activities that we have to do in order to survive as an individual and as a species? And the answers are, we need to eat, sleep, and procreate, right? I mean, you can get more technical than that if you want to, but eat, sleep, and procreate. What happens when we eat something? Oh, feels pretty good, right? Belly feels pretty good. We get the warm and fuzzies. We might even get a little bit sleepy. Like, oh, yeah, I might even take a nap, right? But eating something is fundamentally pleasurable. We enjoy eating. It feels good. Maybe... Uh, we do a little bit too much eating because it feels so good. It's actually like one of the lowest fruit. It's one of the easiest ways that we can achieve satisfaction temporarily is to eat something. We feel satisfied, period, done. Next, okay, you know, eat and sleep. You know, we can only do so much in a day and then we just shut down. Biologically, our brains shut down. I mean, they do all these studies on these warriors and combat people. You know, how far can you push your body before you start losing dexterity, mental clarity, before you just physically shut down and drop drop into his coma you know that happens at some point biologically we must sleep and when we do sleep how do we feel when we sleep good we wake up feeling 
Good. We wake up feeling refreshed. We wake up feeling like, yeah, not bad. I'm going to stretch a little bit. I'm going to yawn a little bit. And then I'm going to go find something to eat. <laughs> All right. And once we've, we've kind of gotten those things taken care of, we're well fed, we're well rested, what's the number one thing people are looking to do? Procreate, baby. We're looking for a mate. We're looking to attract and retain somebody that makes us feel good. Is procreation fun? Pop quiz. <laughs> Does it feel good to procreate? Absolutely. That's why we like to practice so much, right? So eating, sleeping, and procreation, these things that are fundamentally necessary to the survival of our species are absolutely, you know, undeniably pleasurable. These are enjoyable things. And if that's the case, if it's true that the things that we must do in order to survive are actually enjoyable, inherently pleasurable, then that to me is enough proof that God is good or that life is good. There's a, a fundamental goodness. There's a, a positive vibe. There's some positive intent. It's made for the purpose of being pleasurable. Life is meant to be lived and enjoyed. You were born to be happy just by doing the things that you have to do to stay alive. Sure, but by being who you were born to be. You are that unique expression of divine intent, that curious part of you that's different than everybody else, that part of you that makes the puzzle complete. That's where you're going to find the deepest level of satisfaction. And in going through that journey, kind of connecting the head with the heart, really evaluating, sifting through, peeling back these layers of conditioned perspective, and I think I should be this way or I think I should be that way, my own expectations of myself based on conditioning, the expectations of others of me based on conditioning, societal norms and standards, family pressures, and all of these things, underneath all that crap is who am I really on the inside me if it was just me? And I was just going to say, this is who I am. And the truth is, you don't actually have to find yourself as much as you have to realize that you get to create yourself. In the process, we do the peeling back and, and the sifting and the digging around and the redefining, the learning about who am I right now, understanding I'm not who I was yesterday or 10 years ago, and I'm not who I will be tomorrow or 10 years from today. But right now, I'm perfect just the way that I am. Am I uh, like ripped like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Not, you know. Am I like smart like Einstein? No. Can I dribble, shoot, or jump like Michael Jordan? Absolutely not. But something about me makes me perfect because I can't be any other way than the way that I am right now. Do you get that? Do you feel that way for yourself that you are perfect right now, just as you are? But 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 I need to lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 150 pounds. I don't care. Right now, you're perfect just as you are. You, your life has led you to this moment, to this podcast, to hear these words, and to, to realize, to click, turn the light on, man, flick the switch on. Inside, you are full of potential and power. You can do whatever the hell you want to do with your life, and you should, and you should do what makes you feel good because that's what you were born to do because life is fundamentally perfect as it is right now, and in this moment is an inherent opportunity for you to take control of yourself, self-control. Right? Self-cultivation, self-directed evolution, self-empowerment. What can you do for you? Good thing to chew on, right? And then what can you do for others? Isn't it true that when we do something for ourselves, it feels good? I'm going to go get a massage. It feels good. I love to get my shoulders rubbed. Oh, man, yeah. And in those moments, life truly feels perfect. <laughs> 
just as it is. Like, yeah, I get that now. You know, and then I go, oh man, I got to go back to work. Oh, I'm going to get my muscles all tight and tensed. And, uh, and all of a sudden, my head starts to run off down this path that pulls me into negative emotions. I start thinking about things that are going to be less than pleasurable. Guess what happens? I start to feel less happy. Or I'm all relaxed and like, gosh, you know, but that guy that cut me off on the way in the door, he really pissed me off. And I start thinking about that guy. I didn't like the way he looked at me. I didn't like his shoes. I don't like the way he smelled when he walked by. I didn't like, and I get all tense again. <gasps> Take a breath. Let it go. <sighs> What's real right now? Life is perfect as it is. And I'm going to move forward. Sometimes, sometimes, depending on your personality, but sometimes, you know, I'm not going to say, not depending on your personality. Personality is going to predict how often this is going to be true for you. The truth is that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us, right? We're meant to connect with the people around us and, and participate in community. So sometimes it's not doing just something for yourself. Sometimes it's doing something for somebody else that's really going to give you that satisfaction, right? So if I'm really in a funky mood and I just can't shake the funk, I can't get out of my head long enough to appreciate life is perfect just as it is, I need to go do something for somebody else. And maybe I need to drive around a little bit or go for a walk until I see somebody that maybe is just having a little bit worse day than I am. And sometimes that's all it takes to jar my perspective like, oh, shit, you know, I guess I don't have it so bad. You know, this guy's sleeping on a piece of cardboard next to, a, you know, uh, <laughs> next to the gutter somebody else is pissing in right now, you know. My life's pretty good. Where can I find that appreciation? And sometimes it's like this. You know, sometimes it's like I'm, I'm in a funk. I don't feel real good. I'm going to go down to the store or the coffee shop. I'm going to go somewhere where I can be around other people. And I just want to look. I want to see. I want to observe other people's smiles. Have you ever noticed when somebody walks into a room, to a coffee shop, to a store, and they're smiling big because they're happy? Everybody like, you, you notice that. You look, you're like, wow, that's a happy person. And when you see happy people, I think it helps us, you know, realize I could, I could be happy too, you know. And here's an experiment I, I, I like to do sometimes. If I'm feeling kind of funky, and I got to just muster all my motivation and self-discipline to do this. If I'm feeling funky, I'm going to go out into the public square somewhere. And I'm going to find somebody that looks more grumpy than me. And I'm going to smile at them. <laughs> think about it for a second go out if you feel kind of funky go find somebody that feels looks like they're in a funk too and they're just grumpier than you and just smile at them and sometimes you're not going to get a smile back you'll get a snarl back and you're like oh, oh, oh a little testy you know they're not very smiley but if you smile at two or three people Inevitably, what's going to happen is you're going to change your biochemistry. And all of a sudden, when we practice smiling, I mean, you could just go into the mirror and smile at yourself. But I find for myself, I'm an extrovert. I got to go outside and feed on the energy of other people. Go find somebody that looks grumpy and smile at them. You know? Or say something nice to the lady at the checkout. Say something nice to your favorite barista, you know, the guy that's making your, serving your beer. Whatever the case may be, find somebody and smile. That's all you do, you're on the right path. It's just a fun little experiment that we can do. And I think that when we do that, when we're smiling, all of a sudden, maybe just like that, boom, you remember, I'm alive. Life is perfect just as it is. I don't need to be any other place than where I'm at right now. I don't need to be anybody other than who I am right now. 
My life may feel like it's in shambles, but at least I'm alive. I may want to work on some self-improvement, but at least I'm alive. And as I am right now, as you are right now, you are valuable. You are invaluable. You, could, you got value beyond comprehension. You have potential beyond comprehension. You have so much capacity for joy, for love, for goodness, for positive impact, for creation, for doing what you were born to do. It is phenomenal. And if you don't feel excited about that right now, feel my excitement for you. I know that you were born to do something very specific and for a purpose, and that purpose is going to have a positive impact on, on humanity. The primal purpose of life is that we are each and every one of us, all of humanity, was born to help make the world a better place. We're part of that cosmic puzzle. What are you doing to do that? Do something to make the world a better place and it's going to make you feel good. Make you feel good. I want you to feel good. You deserve to feel good. You should feel good. Okay? And if you don't feel good, hit me up. Shoot me an email. Give me a call. <laughs> I don't know. Connect with somebody. If not with me, connect with somebody that is going to help lift you up, right? You're not meant to be alone. So a lot of times I think when we're struggling uh, with life, we're struggling with feeling low and all of these things that I'm saying are just like not true or resonating with you right now. I think a lot of times that's because we, we get stuck in isolation. And so as cool as it is to listen to a podcast or watch an inspiring video on YouTube or whatever, really what we need is human interaction, human connection. So if you are struggling with accepting life is perfect as it is, if you're struggling with understanding your own true potential, you don't feel like that right now, you don't feel like that's true right now, understand you can change the way you feel. That's important. You know, uh, Shift the mindset, reframe it just a little bit. We've got the tools available to help you do that. StokeMySoul.com. Uh, that's coming up, going to be live here soon, the webinars and the workshops and all that. But more than any of that, the most effective way is to go find somebody to hug. <laughs> you don't have anybody to hug, just walk into the public and start smiling at people. And maybe you'll find somebody to hug. The point is, the perfection of life is found in our connection with life. The perfection of life is found in the connection with life. And we must be connected. We cannot isolate ourselves we need to get out there. We need to live. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need to connect and have that relationship with God, however that feels right to you. And this, to me, is what life is all about. This is the spiritual journey. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I hope it is my, my sincerest, my heart of hearts, my heart's intent is to be helpful. That in sharing from my heart and speaking like this, I might inspire you to seek out that passion and purpose, to have that positive impact. But more, than, more importantly, that you would taste that peace, that presence of perfection in this moment. So I want to leave you with that, you guys. I hope that right now, if you take a deep breath, let it all out. Life is good. You're good. This time together has been good. I appreciate you being here connecting with me. I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Peace.